Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. Welcome back. On episode 46, I talk with Andrew Separley, an executive coach, consultant, and trainer who has spent the past 30 years focusing his work on the transformative impact that a college education affords students. He has visited and worked on more campuses than anyone I know and has a lifelong passion for supporting the professionals who teach, advise, employ, and promote the next generation of students. Together, we talk about his belief in the power of the individuals and organizations that make college come alive for students and some of the changes ahead caused by COVID. Enjoy the discussion. My name is Andy Sepperly, and I am an executive coach for college and university administrators. I've spent about 30 years of my life working on college and university campuses around the world, um, working primarily with large administrative teams focused on direct service to students, study abroad, career development, internships, academic advising. And for the last four years or so, I've been working specifically with campus leaders who are trying to keep up with these changing times, especially in the last year, and trying to make the biggest and the best impact that they can as they deliver students the services that they need. Yeah, one of the things I really liked about what I saw on your website was um, you've explored more college campuses than anyone you know. Um, you had mentioned both as an administrator, as a consultant. So I'd love to I'd love to start off there. I mean, you've walked the halls, you've walked the campuses, you've spent a lot of time in what I believe are frankly some of the most energetic places in the world um, with knowledge and um, you know connection and passion. Um, those all look and feel very different right now. So I'd love to start there. How has it been for you in knowing that you've done this work for 30 years, that we're in this pandemic right now, um, universities and colleges are impacted greatly across this nation and the world. So how are you taking all this in right now? It's really hard, Bill. Um, a recent article I wrote was uh, called Reading the Signs, where I visited just in the last month five completely vacant campuses. And you describe the energy that exists on our college campuses. And that energy is fueled by so many different generations and so many different backgrounds coming together around this symbol that is transformation through education. And it's the life of those campuses with all of their beautiful and not so beautiful buildings, with all their quads and their residence halls and their, their student living spaces and their athletic facilities. It's strange moving through these spaces in this work from home environment that you and I find ourselves in and all of those faculty and all of those students. There's a, there's a void to it. There's an energy missing. And although education goes on and creative souls are finding ways to de deliver an academic product to learners, um, 
it it um it was a strange series of walks around these campus where the signage I saw was about COVID prevention. And that was pretty much it. Yeah, there's also something that I really liked about that latest blog you posted on the 26th of September around reading the posted signs. And you talk about this acronym that I've come across a number of times in my past, VUCA, V-U-C-A. It's used a lot in the military. Um, I think I'm seeing it used a lot more in some of the different um, halls, shall we say, um, than I'm used to. It used to be thrown around a lot in the Pentagon. Can you tell us a little bit about what VUCA means for those who may not know that acronym and they might need to get familiar with it? Well, I'm reminded, Bill, with your military background, you would have been introduced to that term, of course, many, many years before I'd heard of it. But I tell you, as I've entered the world of leadership coaching in recent years, coaches are using VUCA as an acronym to describe so much of what clients are facing. This idea that the world is is incredibly um, volatile, that it's uncertain, um, that it's that it's complex and chaotic, and that there's so much ambiguity. You know, and in in an article about reading the signs, it's it's almost a metaphor that we're trying to read the signs through this election year, through COVID, through through unrest throughout this country and throughout the world, and trying to see through something that is not clear. It's incredibly opaque, perhaps more than ever before, at least in my lifetime. And so I think VUCA is is the perfect acronym for the plight of all of us today, trying to see beyond what is just so hard to decipher. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the way you described it, the opaque, it's really interesting because even, you know, even recently, right, you you and I are both on the West Coast and the West Coast has had um, the fires and the smoke. And, um, you know, in, in some ways I was talking to a few people and they said it's it's even it's even more symbolic. Right. It's, it's this aspect of where we're sitting and we cannot even see outside our windows um, and the places we live and, and how that smoke affected the entire West Coast and, and eventually crossed over the United States, over New York, went to Europe. Um, and, and just how connected everything is as well. I think as you describe the complexity, you know, there's a, there's a multiplicity of all of this cause and effect we're seeing. One of the colleges I spoke to recently, um, and I had the privilege of leading a, a, a full day strategic planning session with them, is a really fascinating discussion around how they do engagement going forward. And this was with their board and with a number of, um, you know, senior senior leaders. And I think one of the things we stumbled upon that I would love your thoughts on is the concept of grief. Um, there were people who I think started realizing that they could not go back to campus the way they knew, right? They could not go uh, drop by um, and go meet with a student or a faculty member. As you said, you're going to have to go through um, all sorts of regulations. You're going to have to get permission you're going to have to take a COVID test. You're going to have to stay socially distant, even if you get granted permission to go on the campus. And what was really interesting about this meeting I hosted was, I don't think people expected to start off in a discussion around how do we grieve this? And where we ended was, how do we grieve this? And how do we move forward? So I'm curious, has that been a sense in discussions with you, with some of your clients, with some of your peers, that in this complexity, this uncertainty, it's also like a relationship with grief? I think that was so beautifully said that 
what you are doing with this group of higher education practitioners so important in that it is letting your group feel a needed vulnerability you know we can't we we can't get completely lost in this gratitude game that everyone is trying to play right oh it's all good and i've got so much to be thankful for and oh my goodness count my blessings that is all positive and all that positive energy is so coach friendly yet what you point to is is the notion that but all is not well and we need to call this out and recognize that you know whatever our campus looks like pre covid it is going to be different and there will be new regulations and there will be some traditions that are going to go by the wayside as we figure out what this new state of play will be so for you to enable people to understand this process of grief and recognize that it's okay we're in a safe space all is not well it's okay to feel um a void it's okay to feel sorrow it's okay to be pissed off and feel a resentment because you know if you can move through this process of grief there is something on the other side and you're better for it when you get to a place where you have recognized that you know I'm saying goodbye to something and it feels really bad because I wasn't expecting this it, this was not part of the plan but then on the other side there's there's something new and potentially remarkable for those who can kind of hang in there acknowledge the grief and move through it. So I really appreciate that that's the way you're you're holding this particular group. Yeah, thank you. I I I think one of the the powerful things um from a recent blog you wrote that really jumped off the page to me and the reason I appreciated everything that you wrote about it you you talked about collective emotions at work and the need frankly for rituals and why that matters now more than ever. Um and it was really interesting, you know, I I want people to know that when I read this blog, I had an embodied reaction to it because what I did not realize was not only as you describe in universities and campuses across the world, but in workplaces, we are we are missing, we are grieving our rituals, our connection. But what's really interesting as you as you as you write about it, it's a collective emotion that every one of us is experiencing we're yearning for it frankly and it is an embodied experience to gather um i've been doing a lot of reading recently from a, a great book called the body keeps the score and it talks about trauma and it talks about how trauma is is processed in the body and in the brain and one of the things it reminds me of is we are wired for small group gatherings for ritual we are wired for tradition we are wired for communal experiences so it's been really tough to go through this without access to those rituals without access to those traditions i would love for you to talk about that article and share some of the key takeaways for you as you as you wrote it and and also as others are reading it have there been similar experiences have people noticed you know what's jumped off the page it to me it gave me a really powerful witnessing and validation for what i was experiencing but frankly before I read it, I didn't have words for it. So I really appreciate that you put it out there, that you put a lot of time to it. Would love to have you sort of expound on that a little bit. Yeah, I think that um, this notion of ritual is has always been important to me, and it it could be as the a PK, a preacher's kid, the son of a minister, and kind of growing up in an environment surrounded by a lot of ritual, watching my 
father preach, um, kind of moving into a career in the academy where there's the start of the semester, where there's a graduation, where there's a convocation, and where there are so many really truly sacred experiences that not only mark time for a campus community, but add meaning to the members of that campus community. In this virtual world where we're looking at each other in Zoom windows, as, as you and I are now, we have to find ways, I think, to get creative in ensuring that a special container for us happens, whether in a small group or large, to add that meeting, to ensure that connection between people. It, it, it's not about introversion and extroversion and some people saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm working from home. This is great because I hated all that hoopla back at the office. But I think in the end, we all need a little bit of that hoopla. We all need that coming together that is, is special, that marks an occasion. And that, as I pointed out in this article that generated a fair amount of feedback, creates a memory for people. Creates a memory that it, it doesn't have to be a positive memory. It could be a memory of grief. It could be a memory of sorrow. It could be a memory of letting go, but it's creating something that we are sharing at the same time and connecting through this experience. I think it's, I think it's really important. And my fear as we move ahead is that we'll, we run the risk of losing that sense of ritual. You and me and everybody else, we do our own thing. We light our own candles all by ourselves. And that's, that's it. I don't think that's enough for anybody. Yeah, I think one of the really powerful parts in, in reading this article was how you, um, you remind us that ritual makes meaning. And I think what's so powerful about the work that you've done over the course of 30 years, you know, with universities and colleges and campuses, I mean, these are places of making meaning. I mean, it's, it's meaning making, right? It's memory making. It's a place that is a container, as you described, which is all about uh, making meaning um, in, the, in the lives of young people, in the futures of, of uh, the next generation. And so I, I do find it really interesting how there's this struggle that we're experiencing right now, which is, as you alluded to, I can do this on my own, right? There's a, there's a resilience that I'm showing as an individual that I can take 90%, 90 to 95% of my job and make it work through Zoom. But there's a piece that's missing. Um, and that is walk in the hallways with somebody after a meeting, going to grab a drink with them, um, breaking bread, having a meal. I've talked about this with a number of people um, on, my, on my podcast in the past, the importance of all of those rituals that lock in memories. And so I'm, I'm curious as you think about the work that you do now and you advise people um, and clients and educators and administrators and people that are trying to figure this, this out. Um, I think it's fair to say, you know, 2020, we're all kind of looking forward to the end of it, right? It's, it's some people just want to hibernate and not even have the new year's Eve party and just say, okay, just wake me up when it's 2021. Um, would love to know about some of the conversations that you're having with folks about 2021 and beyond. Um, is it clear yet? Are people able to strike this balance between 
that that physical that we need, that connection that we need, and still how we navigate the seas of what we're doing now, which is so much virtual yeah. and remote. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm I feel like from the client work I'm doing, there might be some some good news there. And that what I'm hearing from people is if we look into our crystal balls and envision what a post-COVID life on a college campus might be like, the word that's coming up again and again and again is hybrid. And from a, a, a faculty and administrative and a, a administrator and a, a student service standpoint, the cat's out of the bag on creating an experience for students in a remote fashion. As an industry, higher education has resisted online education for my entire career as that opportunity has become available. And now this industry has been forced in it. And as a result, though we've lost some of that live connection, we also have people who are not sitting in rush hour commutes anymore. We have people on campuses who have up and left their particular urban setting to move someplace else to continue to do their important work. So there's been a there's been a, a, a freedom and a flexibility forming around this. So what I'm hearing on an optimistic note is that the future could be maybe not all online and all virtual, and you could live in Boise and work in California five days a week, but a blending of maybe some of that and some time on campus. I think we're going to see the traditional work week continue to, uh, I guess, find a new identity where you and I may be working for a particular center on a college campus. And our only requirement is that we, our entire team is together in that space once every two or three weeks for a particular shared experience, a ritual perhaps. But other than that, people finding a way to continue to serve and add value to a campus community, but doing it maybe a little bit more on their own terms than on the old school terms where we need you on campus at eight in the morning and you can't leave until five in the afternoon, okay? Yeah, I think it's such a powerful point. I mean, I know I know friends and family, and I know you do as well, that we share some of these uh, you know, folks in common who were like general counsel of a university or they headed up the career services. And a lot of these people, because of the passion for the work they did and because of the energy of universities, as, as we talked about before, some of them drove three to four hours one way to commute because it was a wonderful school and they loved working there and they changed the lives of the people and it meant that much. So they, so they endured that, frankly. Um, there are other people I knew who used to get on a plane, as you said, and, and, and go and spend three to four days a week uh, on the campus and then um, fly home. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what emerges um, in this hybrid model. And I, I love the idea that you describe of maybe when we get together, it is about ritual. It is about tradition. It is about memory making because a lot of the in-between I think is the work can be done in, 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 in a variety of fashions. The other question I have for you is about alumni, alumni engagement. This has been a huge question on the minds of universities. Um, we're obviously seeing the discussions and the headlines about sports coming back. Is there football? Is there not football? Is there the alumni engagement piece has been really fascinating to watch. Um, because the question becomes, 
twofold. One is how do you do programming in a virtual world? And then secondly, there's an opportunity to actually reach people who otherwise never would have come back for homecoming or you know, the, the, the spring you know, events, spring fair or what have you, um, or parents weekend or things like that. So are, are, you seeing, are you seeing any trends there in terms of how that shifted with alumni engagement and, and what excites you about that or what concerns you about that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And I know you are, are, are incredibly loyal to your alma mater and are, are heavily invested and involved in this. You know, there's, there's one client campus I'm working with who is finding that in this virtual world, they're seeing a lot of promise in alumni engagement. And okay, yes, it's a lot of um, video calls and groups coming together online. But the argument is they, they are capturing some, some potential enthusiasm that they would not have been able to capture through a football weekend or through a five hour drive to get to the campus and find a parking place in a weekend for an event. So I, I think, and, and of course, as you and I know, there are now online providers that are happy to provide platforms to ensure that that engagement, that new form of engagement continues. So I, I think there's good news there, but then, you know, the, the, the frustrated campus designer and architect in me walks these empty campuses like we talked about a few minutes ago. And I think, oh, these beautiful parks and quads and facilities, we have empires that we have built to bring people together physically. That's, that's my concern with alumni engagement and, and the, the meaning and the emotion. Because right now, these alumni that are Zooming their way into engagement have fond memories of particular walkways on campus of their first dorm that they lived in, of where they first fell in love or where they failed their first exam or whatever the case may be. It's gonna be harder to, to tug at those heartstrings, I think in the same way in a virtual environment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an all five senses sort of experience, right? When you go back to campus, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. good, bad or otherwise, right? You remember uh, where you had your positive memories and you were, where you had your heartbreaks. And you know what? Thank God. Like, I like to go back to places on my alma mater and go back to those places where you had solace, where you were, where you had the reflection, but also gave you strength um, personally. So I do think that's going to be fascinating to see. And, and it's even, it's, it's even interesting to watch the debate that is happening with school sports. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's going to continue, I imagine, um, you know, to be ongoing, um, and even watching the way some of professional sports are interacting um, in in non crowd events. I've seen a few times watching the the games on the weekend. I've noticed at the ends at the end at the end zones, they've actually got um, very big screens that are almost like zoom walls. And so I don't know how the certain fans are selected, but there's probably a you know sixteen people in that zoom grid. And you know when they make the touchdown, they run up to it and they kind of do the, the the camera dance. And so maybe that's that's like the selected sixteen that get to be that much closer to the experience. But it does it does leave you um, wanting for you know, that beer and hot dog, that popcorn, yeah. <laughs> like, well, the, the smell of it and all the senses at, yeah. at play, as you described, and, you know, you're, you're pondering athletics is me looking at my background, which is performing arts and theater and these amazing venues that we build out so that, that students can showcase their creative energy. And I was a theater minor 
back in the day when I was in college. And I think about all those performances. I think about a packed house in front of me for my first show and what that, what that felt like, that energy that will always be part of me. How can we, how can we create that in the future for, for talented students who have a voice they wanna share in a very creative way to an audience? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting bridge to build because, um, and I've seen this, I've seen this, seen this through, you know, the Peabody Conservatory and whatnot, where people, you're right, that they were they were used to performing in front of a, a, a crowd. And I've seen some pivoting, which has been really impressive. And even, even you know, um, well-known performers, a, a, a singer I follow, his name is Dermot Kennedy, an Irish, uh, an Irishman, he had this big grand plan to do a show and then obviously COVID hit and he did something very unique. He actually took his concert to the Natural History Museum in London and they recorded it and it was, it was just as intimate, but not. You could watch it from your couch, but you, the way they did it made it almost feel like you were walking through the halls of this grand museum the echoes and everything else. So with intention, I think you can probably stoke some of those senses. It's never going to be a complete replacement, but I was, I was quite impressed with the effort. And I, and I think I see other artists and other people doing similar things, but I agree with you theater and stage, but it's going to be different. It's probably, um, it's probably not going to mirror the experience and you're not going to get the same sensations and emotions. Um, but at the same time, right, there were some people that had never seen Hamilton and they watched it from their couch and the ability yeah, to do that. I was there. Yeah. Oh, were you? Okay. So yeah, I'd love yeah, to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. The, the ability to see the angles from the side and the back were very different. I had seen Hamilton yeah. three times in three different yeah. locations and, you know, you're always looking at it sort of front on but you also know there's so much complexity that happens. You know this, having having been in theater, on the side, in the back, and and every one of those sort of shadows tells a story. And I think what's interesting about that production that was done and then ultimately given, you know, sold to Disney, was I was able to see those angles from my couch. So I'm curious, like, what was it like for you watching that production? You probably heard so much about it from different people, but oh, it was what they did with Hamilton. It was worth getting. Disney Plus or whatever we had to buy to to watch that. It was great. Uh, and we had seen Disney, we had seen Hamilton live as well. So it, you're, you're right. And, and the way you describe how innovative we can be with the technology to really create a virtual experience that that has meaning. I it's it's wonderful. And I'm I'm truly thankful for that. At the same time, it is different from being in a packed tight theater, watching a show, just feeling everyone around you as the musical numbers are launched or as there's a particular dramatic scene, you, there, you could just, you smell it, you somehow taste it. And when that show comes to an end and that audience is in an agreement that they need to rise to their feet and they need to applaud until their hands are sore, that's, I don't know how we can replace that. Yeah, there's pretty much nothing like it. Um, and I remember the first time I saw like Wicked for me, that was that was right right up there. Um, you know, Miss Saigon was right up there. So I, I do I do really look forward to when we can get back to those. And at the same time, I applaud the efforts that are being made by people to be innovative and 
you know, even some of those um, one man shows are, are turning out to be pretty fascinating. Um, I would love to shift gears a little bit. You post on your uh, on your your website, which I would love to to have you tell people a little bit as well about your recent reads. So um, you've got a number of things listed here. Um, everything from Becoming by Michelle Obama, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, um, Path with Heart by Jack Cornfield. I would love to. What what's one of the things you've read recently that has really just kind of sat with you, or that you maybe integrated in some of the work that you've done working with uh, clients and, um, and uh, in, in your coaching. Yeah, there, there's a great example on that list. And, and thank you for taking a look at it. Um, Ryan Holiday's Ego is the Enemy has, has really profound principles that play into our work as coaches. In that, there are so many examples through history that are pointed out in Ego is the enemy of famous figures that you and I know that have fallen or risen as a result of their self-talk and their comparison with others. And they're getting so lost in themselves that they lost sight of everything around them. And as so as we work with leaders in our campuses who are often so incredibly well-intentioned, it's helpful to have conversation around ego and what does ego mean to you? And there's value in self-importance and there's value in pride and awareness of one's strengths. As long as we are not so lost in that ego, which becomes the enemy, that we can't see beyond it to what's really happening in the hearts and the minds of the people that we were hired to support, to serve, to teach, to educate. I think that is so powerful to hear. I, I agree, it's, it's so interesting to watch, frankly, um, organizations, and this is not just unique to higher education. I think um, the financial services institutions are going through this, um, where ego is attached to things of value, but what are we giving value, right? Are we giving if, I, if, all, if only my degrees are my value, if only my things of, of what I've published are value, um, and I attach my ego to that, what happens then when a pandemic comes? And all of a sudden, all the things that I grasp onto that tell me I am a person of value fall apart, or the value that the society deems uh, that they carry is less than because we've gotten, we're, we're seeing new things. That's a big question. I think a lot of people are wrestling with that. Um, and so I appreciate you you mentioning that one because I because I agree. It can be the self-talk can be really, really tough for people, especially leaders. You know, I've, I've talked about, and I know you and I have shared this before, leadership can be really lonely, very, very lonely, especially when you're at the top and you're trying to figure things out. And so um, I'll definitely have to mark that one down to, to read um, and recommend to others. Um, Bill, you're bringing well. up a great coaching question there, which is, what you just alluded to, it's what are you clinging to? You know, what are, what are you clinging to that's, that's, that's kind of slipping away? And what does that mean? And then the next question is, so what's the gift here? What's the opportunity here? And we know in working with people, if you jump into what's the gift here, you know, the response from the client isn't, oh, there's so many gifts and there's so many wonderful things in store. It's finding the timing when people have been able to really understand what they've been grasping onto 
that has been um, impermanent to begin with and is now, is now gone. It's, it's drifted away. They may have grieved it. So then what's, what's available? What's new that, that would not have presented itself if not for all this stuff that came before it? Yeah, impermanence is a great word. I remember about two years ago, somebody asked me the question about like, what is the word of the year for you? And um, I think that year it was impermanence. The year after it was equanimity, <laughs> both two really good words Love to that. become a companion. Love with because, equanimity. Yeah, it gives Love you just that, so much space and grace. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of leaders right now um, want that, and they need to they 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 deserve to explore that because none of us can carry this on our own. I know there are pillars of uh, pressure that uh, people are carrying on their own. I think it's important to to say you don't have to, but I also think it's really really. Um, imperative, as you said, is sometimes we don't know what gifts lie just beyond until we let go of what we're grasping on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We get a new vision, you get a new uh, opportunity to lean into something. And that's the way I'm certainly supporting my clients through this really, you know, transition time is what are the gifts that are appearing that we otherwise never would have surfaced had we not been, had we not been put in this challenge together. Um, and a lot of that is rooted in compassion um, and grace and patience and empathy, um, which right. I've always believed we could, we could always use a little bit more empathy yeah. in yeah, this th- world. Those are, those are great examples. And, and you're making me think of it's kind of the ultimate hero's journey, isn't it? We, we, we have the way things are, and then we are thrust into some adventure, right? Some narrative, some circumstance that we have to duke our way through somehow. And then we come out on the other side to this new experience that in the hero's journey actually takes us back in full circle to where we started. I just love reading more and more about Joseph Campbell's work and this idea of it's, it's the perfect narrative. Every movie and TV show you and I can think of, there's a hero's journey. And so it is true for our lives as well. Absolutely. I know that's been on my list, uh, reading some of his work for a while now. Um, and I, I definitely want to do that. Um, one last question for you that I like to ask guests, and it's become an interesting one in these times. How do you stay healthy and change? Well, that's, that's a very thoughtful question. It's an ongoing process. I can say that. It involves, I would say, an incredible uh, balance of habits, habits of self-care, habits of um, healthy avoidance of media, especially in recent days and in weeks, um, setting boundaries around our consumption of all that we are receiving. We have this luxury of technology 24-7, like the technology you and I are using right now. And during work from home times, it's kind of sort of easy for an entire day to be this without turning it off. So for, for me, what I'm coming to is there has to be outdoor activity. There has to be bike riding. My partner and I um, need to prepare meals together. We need to create our own rituals because I said ritual is plus one, even if it's just two of us, so that we are creating healthy routines and habits to, well, to grab onto some of that hope that's out there especially in those days where 
that hope feels really hard to come by. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a great movie um, that I, I watched recently, if you ever saw the movie Contact with uh, Jodie Foster. Yes. There's yes. a great line in there um, that the father says to the daughter, small moves, Ellie, small moves. Mm-hmm. And I think as you as you describe ritual plus one, right, um, we, we should not forget the small moves, um, be it a bike ride, be it a walk, be it a planning a meal together. Um, it's, it's the small moves, I think, that are going to get us through these really big, tough times. Um, Beautiful. That just... I've, got, I've got a great example of that today. Just before we joined this call together, I had one of our cars detailed. So I grew up loving cars. I, love, I, I was learning to drive way before I was 16. My dad used to let me drive around the neighborhood. So I love cars, and I like super clean, sleek cars. So today was the annual Get the Car Detailed. Ah. Oh. Bill, the joy that brings me, the shine, the smell of the leather, it's fantastic. It is one of those small things, though, in the grand scheme of things, but, but it, was, uh, it added so much value today to me. And that's so important to hear. And I think as people listen, I think it's, it's important that we remember those things. Sometimes they feel extraneous. Sometimes they feel like, should I really be doing that amidst a pandemic? You know, I actually think people should be doing those things that give them a lot of pleasure, a lot of joy, because joy is a frequency, right? It's literally a frequency of, of, of your body. Um, and it's important that we don't forget that frequency amidst everything else you talked about, amidst the deluge of bad news, the deluge of, you know, uh, media and, and, and all of that that can be pretty overwhelming. So I appreciate that, that very specific example, which I can... I can I can totally picture it. I can close my eyes and picture exactly what you mean. Uh, you know, getting getting the car back and having it um, look that way, smell that way, feel that way. You know, you roll down the windows and you drive. It probably felt probably felt great. Awesome. Um, where can people find out a little bit more about you, um, and maybe reach out and engage? Oh, I appreciate that, Bill. So I think the best place to go is andrewtseperly.com, which is my website. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. And as I write articles about all that's happening in the world that, that I know and love, I do push those out on LinkedIn. So those are really two, two great ways to reach me. Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. This was a great discussion. Gives me a lot of joy um, and reminds me, uh, you know, the importance of the work that we're doing, um, frankly, both uh, on campuses, in the halls of institutions and in corporations. So I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to connecting again. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. Thanks.